happen around us, and they, they force us to reorient our lives. You know, uh, like 9-11, or you have a baby. Uh, your first baby really reorients your life, if you've never had a child before. <laughs> Whatever your life was after that, it's totally different. And you, you know, like as a grandparent, when our grandchildren were born, we bring them over, we send them home. We don't reorient our lives. But when you have a baby, well, Kathy says, yes, we do. I'm sorry. Uh, but you know what I mean? There are things that happen. If you're on an island and there's a volcano, which happens, uh, that's going to reorient your life a little bit. Big things do that. And some of them are, are, are fun. Some of them aren't fun. Uh, Let's, let's, let's go into the Wayback Machine for a, a moment this morning for some of us. How many of you remember this little tune? Come and listen to a story about a man named... A poor mountaineer. Then one day... And up through the ground... One day he was shooting at some food, and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is, black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly. Hills, that is, swimming pools, movie stars. Thank you. The Beverly Hillbilly. So, some of you either watch TV Land, or you're, or you're over 50. <laughs> either way, it was a fun moment. Uh, brought back a lot of memories for me. I watched the Beverly Hillbillies growing up. Uh, but Jed had one of those moments, and it reoriented his life, right? Uh, if you know the sh show, <laughs> you know the story. They moved from somewhere in the south, and the, they were hillbillies, to, to Beverly Hills. And, uh, you know, the, the whole story was about people uh, being put in an environment uh, in which they were wholly unsuited and unprepared for. And their lives, they just had to learn to adapt differently. You know, they had indoor plumbing, right? <laughs> they had all kinds of wild things. And they were always uh, keeping farm animals by the pool and upsetting their neighbors. Well, the, we're going to read a story. We, we looked at it last week, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, excuse me. I wasn't here last week. But we want to talk about how do we, uh, uh, why, we, would we why should we as people re reorient our lives the way Christians do? And I want to read in the New Testament just uh, five or six verses that describe uh, at the end of uh, the day of Pentecost where Peter was sharing the gospel. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, it says, starting in verse 40, Peter says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And we talked about what that meant a couple of weeks ago. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so these uh, Jewish pilgrims, these pious Jews, many of them from all over the world, uh, completely reoriented their whole lives, and, and, and probably in a way that's hard for any of us to even imagine. You know, we read that, and that just seems like, oh, they started believing in Jesus, and everything just kind of went on the way it was, and it wasn't anything like that. Their world just was turned upside down in a way that's it's hard for us to imagine. You know, our culture has been so, so permeated by the gospel, and it's been affected in good and bad ways. In some ways, a lot of us and a lot of people around us have been immunized to the real gospel because of uh, religion that's gotten mixed in with the gospel itself and how the church has you know, behaved and lived and responded. And when these guys first encountered the gospel, when Peter preached it and this supernatural event called Pentecost happened, uh, they had a way of relating to God. Their, their world was very ordered, and it, it worked. They understood they had a moral system. They had a way that you approach God. They had an identity. And something happened. And because It says they were cut to the heart, and they were totally just hammered by what Peter said and what they saw and what they heard about Jesus to such a degree that they completely reoriented their lives in this whole new pattern of living, their, whole, their identity changed from, from this to, to something else, from what it was to something completely new. Now, just like the Beverly Hillbillies, as the story goes, there was a breaking in process that went on. They, were, they, they went on a journey, as we like to say around here. But what took them from this Jewish identity and, and the settled understanding of how the world worked and these patterns of living that, that, that they were, this very festival was a symbol of because these pilgrims came from all over the world because what every, every year, three times a year, there were festivals that were very significant and reinforced uh, the truth that God gave the Jewish people and so you're expected to come to those uh, from wherever you lived on a regular basis, as, as often as you could. And there's this rhythm and this, the synagogues that they worshipped at and the way they lived their lives and these meals like the, the Passover meal. Well, we took communion today, which is a, a reinterpretation of the Passover meal. And I don't know about you guys, but when people change uh, traditions, it, it, it doesn't happen easily. Well, at this point, these people, every single thing about how they looked at life totally changed. And it, I'm sure it was a bumpy road, but it changed because of Jesus. It changed because 
these witnesses, the followers of Jesus, said Jesus lived and died and was buried and rose again. And now you've seen this miracle happen where this fire from God's come down on us and we can speak in all these languages, us Galilean hicks. And we're declaring the great works of God and you're all amazed by that and you're wondering what is this and they're all confused and so Peter interpreted that event and said we've received the Holy Spirit who was promised because we believed in Jesus the Jesus that you guys killed that you rejected and that was God's plan and so he preached the gospel of them and 3,000 of them believed at that point and they experienced the grace of God now through Jesus because what was laid before him was just a simple choice and, it, and it's this way with everybody, because someone could hear the story of Jesus, and they could be raised in a Muslim community, or they could be raised in a Hindu community, or they could ra- be raised in a, a secular, atheistic community and framework, or, or some other kind of religious framework. But all of our ways of ordering our world are all lumped together. There's those ways of of living life and approaching God, and there's Jesus. And there's no way for it not to be... uh, What they saw was, two things happen when people hear the gospel. There's, if it's properly lived and properly communicated, there's this powerful attraction, like, wow, this is something like nothing I've ever heard before. But there's also a part of it that puts you off. Because the gospel says you can experience God only through Jesus. That whatever experience of God you've had has a limit to it, has a lid on it. That you can only go so far in terms of figuring out who God is. Now all these worldviews all say we've got the right answer. But then Jesus comes along and he says, I am the answer. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so as, as people are drawn towards him... They're also put off by him. If you read the Gospels, you see that. They're drawn towards him, and then they're put off by him. When we we share the Gospel with people, when, when, like Peter stood up and said, hey, you guys, you know, we started following Jesus. We want you to also, but you have to understand you're as messed up as we are, and Jesus is the only way to God that all these other ways that we've believed, now they've been fulfilled in Jesus, and they've been made obsolete. So the shelf life of these religions has been reached. The don't sell date has been reached. And that's a you know that's a that's that's kind of like especially in our culture today it's very inclusive and we're you know it's very pluralistic and we're trying to find a way to live together. That that sounds like it pushes people off, but it doesn't if you understand that All of us are in the same boat, even the people that accept Jesus. We can only come to God through Jesus, not through our own efforts. It's not like we figured it out. We've got the secret. Nobody else has. It's all in Jesus. Well, that's what reorients people. And so another way of looking at it is that God came into the world in his son Jesus, and he he initiated something, and he invites us into it. And so without going too far into the gospel and retelling it to you like you've heard many times. 
what I want you to understand is when we talk about who we are as a church, our mission and our vision, and, our, and then today we want to talk about our priorities, they are, they are completely incomprehensible without Jesus. If Jesus isn't in the middle of what we're doing, what we're doing doesn't really make any sense. It's pointless. But if Jesus is who the Gospels say he is, then we've got a hold of something that's really good. We've got a hold of something that's really special. We're, we are people who are graced because of Jesus. And so the, the kingdom of God's come in Jesus and the vineyard movement, which our church is a part of, we've received grace from God to be another part of the body of Christ that, that, that establishes new churches and reaches out to parts of the community that other people aren't reaching. There's about 1,500 vineyard churches now. And, you know, at this point, we're planting about one a week. And we'd like to increase that many, many times. That's not near enough. But if Jesus isn't at the center of that, none of this will make sense. So the, the stuff that we do week in and week out, uh, we want to keep saying to you guys, we want to orient this around Jesus because that's why we're here. Okay, And so if our mission, if we want to say what our mission is as a church, and I said this three weeks ago or so, it's to know Jesus and to make him real to others. So we don't just want to know about him in an abstract way. We want him to be real to us because the word know in the Greek is one of two ways the word's used. But one way is to, to have knowledge of, like academic knowledge, and the other kind of know is to know through personal experience and interaction. And in, in the Jewish usage of the Greek term, the way the Jews used that word, it was the word yada, and it meant to know in, in terms of sexual intimacy. So it had this picture of real, deep, personal interaction. And so sometimes in, in what we don't realize is churches slip into, we just want to give people information. Because if we just give everybody enough information, that'll fix any problem. And, and that's really naive. And that really is not the gospel. People need to experience God. So A, our mission is to know Jesus and to make him real to other people. And B, our, our vision is to be a generous, gospel-centered community living for the sake of others for the glory of God. We want to be a generous community. We want to be a gospel-centered community. And we want to live for the sake of others. That's a very unusual ambition. And we want to do it for the glory of God. Well, for us to fulfill our mission and our vision, which is like what we've been doing for 30-plus years, we have simple priorities. And, and you can see them in this passage I read to you. Because when, when these people met Jesus, they began to reorient their lives like Uncle Jed did. He struck oil and he reoriented his whole life around this discovery. Sorry, this discovery. I'll try not to move my head. And we have priorities. They had priorities when they began to believe in Jesus. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, and, and on and on and on. Well, we have four priorities. 
And I think they flow from, there's more than four that you see in that little passage. But our priorities are what we pursue week in, week out. They're the process of like how we do church. And they're real simple. And you've experienced them over and over and over. If you come to the vineyard, this is your church home. But I want you to understand it. We, we felt like in talking about doing this little series that, that people didn't really get it. So they made it a priority to experience Jesus. It says there in this passage, everyone was filled with a sense of awe, which was a common phrase used in the Gospels to describe what it was like to hang around Jesus. God was real to the people who were following Jesus. And even though he wasn't physically there, what the gospel said is when that, that he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he ascended to the Father's right hand, and that when you put your faith in him, you begin to experience God through Jesus. That God, this, the awesome creator of everything, who's good and righteous and holy and wise and faithful, that everyone, in, it's in some sense, knows they're disconnected from and that they have a hunger for at some point in their life, most people do, that when they grope and try to encounter him in, in some way and get little slivers of something that is wonderful, that they can get all of it through Jesus. And so they had this sense of awe there. And they experienced God in big gatherings, in their in life group, home group meetings. They experienced God in the marketplaces because he was with them. The whole day, this whole scene that we have been reading about started when they were praying in obedience to Jesus' command. He said, I want you to go all into all the world and preach the gospel. This was the end when, when he, right before he ascended back to the Father. And he said, but before you do that, I want you to stay in, return to Jerusalem because where they were was outside Jerusalem when Jesus spoke these words. I want you to go back and pray until you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so then you can be my witnesses. And, and see, a witness is someone who's seen something, who's experienced something that's changed their life. And they had in Jesus, but they needed to be equipped in a, in a powerful way to do the work that he did. Just like Jesus was baptized and then the Spirit came on him. He fasted and prayed and then he came into Galilee and into all of Israel and he preached the gospel powerfully and miracles and signs and wonders and, and love and every good thing from God was poured into the world through him. And so the same thing happened to them. And when they were praying, it says the Holy Spirit came in this room where they were praying like a, a wind. It was, it was something everyone heard. It was a loud, mighty rushing wind. And when that wind came through the room, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Tongues of fire came down on each of them. I mean, just imagine that. Just to picture that. Just for a second. Just like little pilot lights. Maybe more than that. You know, something. There's been lots of historical depictions of that. But what it, to a Jew, one of the memories it would evoke is the people of God coming out of Egypt towards the promised land. And as they traveled, this pillar of fire would lead them. A symbol of God's presence with them. And so all the Jews saw this and they... Then they heard the people, these Galileans, 
speaking in their dialects, and they were from all over the world, and they were proclaiming the great deeds of God. And so everyone, again, here's this attraction. Everyone was drawn to that. They'd been prepared for it, and then they heard the good news, and they, and, and, and they heard about Jesus, and they believed in Jesus, and then they began to experience that. And we don't want to just talk about, hear, hear about God. We want to experience God. That's what Jesus died for. The good news is not more information. But it, like John Wimber used to say to us, he said, you guys, when in, in your churches, you have to tell people that the, the, the word is the way to God, but the word can just be the menu too. And you can be content just reading the menu. But you don't get much out of eating the menu. You order the food and then you eat the meal that the menu describes. Now, it's, it kind of breaks down when you talk about the Word of God because the Word is more than just a menu, granted. But people can be content just to become experts about the menu and not press into the meal Jesus himself. So we, our priority is we want to experience God. They gave themselves also, besides experiencing Jesus Christ, they made a priority to connect with community. It says they devoted themselves there in verse 42, to the fellowship. They had a new sense of identity because of Jesus, and it made them a new community of people. So all these people that said, in fact, at the end of the verse, it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, which is what Peter said. Save yourselves by believing in Jesus from this crooked. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about crooked, the Greek word scolios. Peter said, you're crooked. And everyone knew scolios, if you have a crooked spine, it's, it's, you have this internal crookedness. You're bent inside. And he's saying morally, you're crooked and you can't relate to God in that condition. But Jesus took your crookedness on himself. And if you believe in him, he takes away your crookedness and he gives you his purity and righteousness. And he gives you his relationship with God as a gift. And they experienced that. And then all those people who had made that choice, who'd gone from this set, set A, of all the ways of looking at God and relating to God in the world, to set B, of relating to God through Jesus, they had this new identity, had this sense of, I'm a, now I'm a child of God. It's a common experience for people when they've believed in Jesus as the way to come to God and to live life as they begun to follow Jesus, this new deep sense of I have a new identity emerges in their life. Just, where'd that come from? I've, I've told a story many times here. When I heard the gospel, as far as I can remember, it was really the first time I ever heard the gospel. I was a freshman in college. And I remember after hearing the gospel in a, in a large meeting of a lot of young people and responding to it, to my surprise, I didn't go there expecting to do anything more than go sit with these two cute girls who invited me to come. That seemed like a good reason to go anywhere. And I remember, you know, uh, standing, when the guy said, if you want to follow Jesus, stand up. And I, I was standing up and I was kind of surprised. What am I doing? You know, it was like 1,500, 2,000 people there. I'm standing up. And I was one of the first people to stand up. I wasn't sure I was supposed to, except in the Episcopal Church, 
everything where my parents had taken me as a kid, you know, you did everything together. You stand up, sit down. Uh, you know, it's like that. So I thought everybody's going to stand up with me. Because <laughs> doesn't everybody want to follow Jesus? Yeah. yeah, a lot I didn't know. A lot of them were already in. <laughs> and then they said, okay, and if you want to accept Jesus and you're standing up, I want you to come, you know, down the aisle here. And, or come stand up here first. And then we're going to tell you what to do. So people came stand up. And then they said, now go into this room over here. And I went in the room. And I remember afterwards, to make a long story short, coming out, coming out of that little hot, I mean, this little room, there's, it was a room that could seat about 40 people, and there was a, at least 100 people in there. I mean, we're just like, there's, there's chairs face to face. And I mean, you're this guy that was praying with me, I was about that far, he was way into my space, just like this far away. And we're praying, and I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm trying not to get my, my bad breath right in his face. I come out, and my friend said, what happened? And I just remember having this sense of, I don't know. It's like I know God now. And I would have never used that language before. I didn't even understand what happened. But I did have this sense, I know God now. And I did have a sense that I just started something. But, and, and, I, and it was like I knew I was different now. Like I knew I was one of these people. I mean, that's, that's about as far as I'd gotten at that point. Because a lot of times that's all you do grasp is something's happened to you and you have a new identity. Well, they, they committed themselves to this new community, which is one of our priorities, to experience Jesus and to be connected to his community. Th- those are two of our four priorities. Now, you know, it wasn't so much a, a, a big deal for me then because th- this church I went to, almost everybody was my age. Uh, there, the, the church was, you know, 2,000, 2,500 people, but there was probably only 300, 400 people that were not in their late teens or early 20s because it was during the Jesus movement and just all these young people were flooding into the church. And so I felt like at home because everybody was my age. But it wasn't ethnically diverse. Like, like, it was a lot of kids, especially that were beach surfing kind of kids like me. But churches tend to be more diverse normally. And, and even in Turing, this first church, if I could use that word, in Jerusalem, there were people from all over the place. And it must have stretched them to be in close proximity to people that they normally wouldn't interact with. Like, I remember J.C. Ann uh, brought her friend Gerard, and Gerard's been, he's not here today, but he brought one of his cousins from the south side of Chicago. And afterwards, he said uh, something to the effect man, I like this church, but he said, I've never been around so many white people <laughs> in a long time. And, and you know, we, we all have little, you know, groups and cliques that we become part of, and a lot of times they're pretty homogenous. Uh, all my friends, you know, are kind of longer-haired sort of types. And, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but when you meet Jesus, Jesus draws people from all over the place, right? And we oftentimes find that inconvenient and off-putting. And in the New Testament, we're supposed to be committed to the community. And you may say, well, because this is what people say to me, you want me to be committed to, like, to church, to people in the church, to, like, the small groups? And, and it, yeah, that's what Jesus wants you to do as a, as a, as a devoted, committed way of life, not just when it starts. That, you know, the mood strikes you as a part of your life because Jesus is here. People tell me all the time, when I come here, 
I meet Jesus again. When I go to my home group, I meet Jesus again. When I go and do the food pantry and do outreaches and things, I meet Jesus there. And what we should want to do is if if we've said yes to Jesus, we should want to be about Jesus' business wherever he is. And so being devoted like that, it it isn't always something that's that's convenient for us because some people say, and and you can fill in the blank, uh, but the people are, right? They're, they're, they're too young, they're too old, they're too this, they're not enough that, they're not hip. And the truth is about people is whatever puts you off about any church is more a reflection of you being an American and you being a sinner than it is your, a noble side of your a nature and character. Because... The, the gospel where we meet Jesus says that everybody is on this level ground at the foot of the cross. And, and we're supposed to be, grow, be growing and becoming more loving, accepting, and committed and integrated people with other human beings. That's what the love of Jesus is supposed to do. And when we find ourselves being put off by that, you can know that's not the best part of your character. And if you press through that, Jesus will change that part of you. I love people now I would have never spent any time with. And I've found they're wonderful people. But I had little parts of my character, and sometimes big parts, I had to get over. And all of you will find something like that. It'll, it'll be your own, you know, little challenge. But uh, some people will go, oh gosh, you know, the building. And not just our building, any building. Uh, because as Americans, we're attuned to customer service and you know, comfort, and all kinds of things. That they're, It's not that they're unimportant, but are they the most important concerns that we should have? You know, we, we built this building 17 years ago. We built it for $52 a square foot. Now, some of you go, I can tell, you know. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's about half the price that a, you know, a normal building would cost. Yeah, but we, you know, 37 families gave $300,000 when we, when we did this thing in the beginning. And, I mean, hundreds of people have come to Jesus here over the years and planted. There are people that are vineyard pastors now that we've led to the Lord. And it didn't take a cathedral. And if we had some more money, there's probably some things we would do to this building to make it a little more comfortable. Kitchen. Thank you. It's kitchen. Uh, but... The truth is, we try to have certain priorities, and we, and we align our budget with that. And if, you know, if, if all the people that came here gave, like some people that come here, we wouldn't ever have a problem uh, with this building being more comfortable than it is. But it's the, it's the community part that's the key. And some people say, the music, you know, ah, I want to be committed with the music. And, you know, the music is too loud. There's, there's too much of it. There's too little of it. There's not my style. You know, and I just think sometimes, every once in a while when I get like that, I think, wow, you know, someday we're all going to be around the throne of God, worshiping God. And when the Nigerian worship leader gets up there, it's not going to be like my cup of tea or the, you know, the salsa worship leader. I want the, the eagles worship leader up there, <laughs> right? That's, that's how, how I was raised. But, but there's going to be a lot of people around that throne and Jesus is going to say, hey, let's, I think today we need some Indonesian worship. And, and we're going to jam for Jesus with, you know, some of the most exotic music I've ever heard. 
that I, even, I don't even know yet. And it's not going to be my style. And the church is not supposed to be about us, is it? So that devotion part, when you make Jesus, you know, like Uncle Jed, it starts reorienting your life when you find that treasure hidden in a field. Uh, another one is, real quickly, the, they made it a priority to serve others because Jesus said, the Son of Man, that was a title he used for himself, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he told them that in the context of them arguing about who was the greatest. And, and so he totally flipped upside down their way of looking at what was great, what was the good life. And he said the good life is the life lived by the lowest servant in the house who serves because that's what I do. And so I think, you know, as you work through these priorities, experiencing Jesus, being a part of the community, serving these are steps that you take. And so they devoted themselves. They made a priority of serving. If you look at the story there more closely, which I'm not going to have the time to, they deeply invested in caring for one another and people outside their community. Because they didn't just say, now that I've gone from set A to set B, Jesus is set, none of those people matter anymore. They became even more inclusive and more caring and more interested in those people who were outside. Because they had met Jesus and they were following him and he was constantly taking them places that they never thought that they would go. And they never would ever have imagined it could be such an adventure and could be such a great ride and challenging too if they hadn't started following Jesus. And then last of all, our fourth priority is to grow and to multiply. And, and those are, you know, two sides of the same coin. So we experience Jesus, we connect with the community, we serve, and we grow and multiply. And growing means you individually, you're following Jesus, and he wants you to become more and more like him. He wants you to grow. He wants you to, to, to take on his likeness more and more and more. And we talk about this all the time, so I won't belabor this point. The multiply part is where we have, each of us are supposed to have a spiritual family of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of people that we've introduced to Jesus and we've helped grow up and we've helped them have children and raise them to have children and raise them to have children. We're supposed to have this legacy of people who have been attracted to Jesus through our life and because of that we invest our lives in them we become their friends and we hang out with them and and we bring them into our world and we help them grow and then we help them to get the vision that we have to grow and to multiply because like I was taught as a young Christian living things grow and multiply all living things do that or there wouldn't be any more of them. If they didn't grow, they would die. And if they didn't multiply, their species would end. But God has invested in us this instinct that sometimes gets smothered, and sometimes gets choked off, and sometimes gets neglected, and sometimes we just disobey it because we decide, I don't really want to follow, or I want to try to follow Jesus, so I'm going to 
kind of follow my old way of life. And you just can't do both. Jesus had to remind his followers over and over, you can't serve money and God. It doesn't mean you can't make money. It doesn't mean you can't make a lot of money, but you can't serve it. It can't be your God. It can't meet all the needs in your life. Either Jesus meets the need in your life, needs in your life for everything that money could give you and more, or money does. But money's attractive. You know, pleasure, all kinds of things have a, a payoff. But they also have, you know, the flip side is they have a, a, a cost. And, and, and they take something from us. So if you just imagine four boxes, our priorities are like a process that we just cycle through as a way of life. If we follow Jesus, we need to experience him. If we follow Jesus, we need to be committed to the community, to his community. We need to connect deeply. If we follow Jesus, we need to serve other people. If we follow Jesus, we need to be growing and multiplying. So if you could... Most of the time when I've explained this to people before, they can kind of find themselves, I think I see where I am at this point. Like I'm in box one, I'm trying to experience Jesus more consistently. Or no, now I'm trying to kind of connect with community because I'm doing that, I kind of got a handle on that right now. I want to connect. I'm trying to figure out how to, to, to be part of the community better. Or I want to, I realize I'm a part of the community, I want to serve but now that I'm serving, I want to grow and multiply. I want to, I, want to, I want to see the mission go beyond me and our church here. Where are you in that little process? Because those four priorities, like I said, they're our process. What is your next step? And, you know, maybe you have stepped out of the process altogether uh, for whatever reason, not always a bad reason, just... Things have crowded in. When things crowd in and take you out of this kind of process, you, f- you will find you don't lose your relationship with Jesus, but Jesus becomes a lot like your third grade teacher, right? Uh, sometimes they can remember Mrs. Bush's name. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes what Miss Bush taught me in third grade, actually I did, my third grade teacher was Mrs. Bush, uh, and I just remembered that sitting up here. If you would ask me, I couldn't have remembered it because I'm so separate from it because the rest, I've moved on in my life. We're not supposed to move on with Jesus. We're supposed to follow Jesus. Jesus wants to be with you in your career. He wants to be with you everywhere. But if you don't embrace that, that call, uh, you miss something. And then Jesus gets smaller and smaller and his influence in your life gets it diminishes and weakens. And then pretty soon you think, he's really not, you know, he's really not what he, uh, I, what I, when, when he was pitched to me, he's really not that. He is. But each one of these priorities uh, contain challenges. They, they are intensely challenging, each one. And you may be looking, you may be standing in one of those priorities and feeling like I kind of got my feet underneath me now, and I know I'm supposed to move to this next one, but you see in your, in your own particular situation something that puts you off. And what I want to tell you is, I say this all the time. It sounds like a cliche, but literally, I don't want to move through that process. There's nothing in my nature that makes me want to follow Jesus and live the kind of life he lived. Even though I 
admire it and respect it and aspire to it. Inside me, there's a lot of other things I want to do. There's a lot of other ways I want to kill my time. But when I'm like that, what I do is I go, I don't beat myself up. I just go, Jesus, you always did the Father's will, even when it cost you, even when it didn't interest you. You were tempted just like I am. And I know if I hold on to you, you will help me be the person you want me to be. Do you understand? I don't try harder. I focus in and press into Jesus and his life comes in me and then I start moving to that next step. That's the first step. When you know that you're being called to the next step, you gotta do it in the strength that Jesus gives you in his life. And so that comes from relationship with him, which always goes back to our first priority is experiencing Jesus. If you experience Jesus, he will help you move through our little process. He'll make you move, help you move through your life. He'll help you love people you can't love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's pray. And I want to just ask you this question that only you can answer between you and God. I really think this is a question that probably almost every person here, you have to answer this today. I really believe God is, he's, he's tapping you on the shoulder and he's saying, I have a next step for you. And what is it for you? Which one of those priorities is really your next step? It's this next little season of your life that he wants you to, to, to invest yourself in. So just close your eyes with me. Just bow your head for a second. Just want to wait on the Lord. And you, just in your own heart, ask Jesus, Jesus, what's my next step? Is it experiencing you more? That's a biggie. Is it connecting with the community? Is it serving others? Or is it growing and multiplying?